0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Last couple of weeks, we've been very application-driven with uh, wrapping up chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the ways that we pray and the expectations that we have in our prayers. And so uh, two weeks ago, we kind of had direct application within our group, even as we spent some time praying during this time slot. And then last week, um, we spent uh, our application Sunday kind of reflecting back over uh, much of what we've been talking about in chapter three. There's a shift that takes place now in chapter four. So we've gone through chapters one, two, and three. They've been very doctrinally heavy, very theologically heavy. Um, And there's a shift now to more practical living Uh, how we take what we've learned in chapters one, two, and three, and how we begin to flesh that out on a weekly basis. And so we're going to see that. Uh, One commentator said it's moving from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from wealth to walk, from exposition to exhortation, from the indicative to the imperative, from our riches to now our responsibilities. And so um, what we're going to see over the coming weeks as we finish out our study in Ephesians is a lot of practical application based off of the doctrine that we've learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what we see in chapter 4, and we're going to see throughout this chapter, is that Paul begins to introduce uh, some necessary elements of maintaining a healthy spiritual body of believers. Um, so he's going to really start to give us elements that need to be present if we're going to have a healthy spiritual body of believers. Now think about the fact that in Chapters 1, 2, and 3, kind of wrapping up with chapter 3, Paul has spent a lot of time talking about the plan of the gospel being to unite believers of all different kinds, all different backgrounds into one people. And so he's going to tell us now what it looks like for those groups of people to come together as one body and how to maintain good health in our joining together. And think about how uh, within the health industry, right, there are different fads that come and go about how to be healthy. But kind of the timeless things that are always present in all of the fads that come and go uh, is that you have to eat right or you have to eat healthy and you have to exercise. Those are two key elements that really are always present in whatever fad comes and goes. Somebody made a comment the other day. We were at the pool and uh, somebody had a drink that had like pink uh, stuff in it. Somebody said, hey, whose plexus drink is this? And they were just making a joke. But I was thinking like, man, I haven't heard the the term plexus in a while. That was kind of a a thing that went there for a while. Um, There's other fads that have come and gone, things that that people have done for a while, and it was like an explosion, and some people have stuck with it. Others have kind of moved on to the next thing. What we find in chapter 4 here, and this is true for spiritual health too, right? Like you see spiritual healthy fads that kind of work their way through Christian culture, things that uh, are kind of pushed, whether it's a book or uh, a specific teaching series from a pastor, and they kind of come and go, but what's timeless is what we're going to see here from the Apostle Paul. These things that are mentioned here in chapter 4 don't come and go. These are necessary elements for us to be a healthy church. These principles remain the same. They were true for the time when Ephesus was first reading this. They are true for us today, 2,000 years later. All right, and so we're going to see some key elements for for healthy spiritual life as a church, as a body of believers. And so I'm going to read for you the text this morning, and then we're going to, Start to unpack it together. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul starts this section out once again, reminding us that he's a prisoner. We know that he's a prisoner but he's always unique in the ways that he talks about his imprisonment, right? He's a prisoner for the Lord. And so once again, he's telling us that his imprisonment is attributed to God's plan rather than human will, right? God is the one calling the shots in his life. Not he himself, Paul, nor any other human in his life is dictating what is happening. God is in control of these circumstances. Paul finds himself in prison, but he sees himself as a prisoner for the Lord and he's urging the people that are reading this, urging us even today thousands of years later, urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I think it's interesting that Paul is urging this believing community to walk in a manner that he's personally trying to exemplify himself, right? He's trying to live this way, but think about what it is garnered for him. He's in jail. Right? So it's not like uh, kind of the, the health and wealth perspective where you've got pastors who are living wealthy and then teaching people to do the same as to what they have done with the hopes of gaining that same type of lifestyle, right? You've got an individual who's in jail who has been living a life worthy of his calling. It's landed him in jail and he is speaking from jail saying, I urge you to live this way too. And it may end up Uh, leading you to the same place where I'm at, in jail, but I urge you to live this way. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given to you. The goal of walking in such a way is to maintain unity that fulfills God's plan for the gospel, right? So he's going to tell us about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And then in verse 3 it says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the instruction that he's going to give to us this morning has an end goal. The end goal is that we would be at peace with one another, that we would be at unity with one another, and that that unity and peace would be maintained. And it's to be our eager goal. It's to be uh, something that we're eager to do, eager to fulfill, eager to maintain, Paul says. We're going to see through chapter 4 that we are united in our divine calling. All right, so we have a unique calling, but it applies to all of us. right? And then we're also going to see that, that we are united in our Christ-like conduct. Salvation has been granted to us in all the same ways, so that divine calling is the same for us. Um, how we get saved, how we stay saved, how we enjoy salvation, all those things are true for all of us in here that are believers. And then there's unity in the Christ-like conduct that we're called to. We're going to see what it looks like for us to live in consistent ways with each other. And the expectation is that we would all live this way. And if we all live this way, it will result in spiritual healthiness. All right. So verses one through 16 over the coming weeks, it's going to be all about unity. And then verses 17 into chapter five, it's going to be all about purity. Okay. Let's look at the summary sentence for today. In response to all that God has given to us, we are to live with the purpose of maintaining the unity he desires for us, by seeking to demonstrate humility, gentleness, and patience in our interactions with other believers. In response to all that God has given to us, Paul starts this chapter, this section, I therefore, and so we refer back to chapter 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, because of what we've learned in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he now urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to live with the purpose of maintaining the unity he desires for us, And he's going to tell us that to do this, we have to demonstrate humility, gentleness, and patience in the ways that we interact with other believers. For our kids, Christians are to be known for humility, gentleness, and patience towards others. He talks about this concept of walking in a manner worthy of your calling. It has to do with how one conducts their life. It's really the the guiding blueprints for how we make decisions, how we tailor our expectations and interactions with each other. Um, So after explaining the gospel, we're now being told how to live in light of it, how to conduct our life in keeping with this gospel. You'll note in verse 1 here, he talks about walking in a manner worthy of the calling. You skip down to verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This concept of walk is going to keep popping up in the coming weeks and months as we work our way through the back half of Ephesians. In chapter 5, verse 2, It says, uh, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In verse 8, it says, uh, walk as children of light. You skip down to verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so this idea of walking is going to keep coming up. And again, it's the way that we conduct our life. It's the blueprints for how we make decisions. Uh, There's some other verses that I would encourage you to kind of jot down uh, in regards to this too, Philippians one twenty seven through 30. Let me read these for us just real quick because these all um, are written by Paul and so they all kind of carry a similar idea for what he's trying to convey to us here in chapter four. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you were standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Talking about living, uh, walking in such a way that you are worthy of the gospel of Christ that's been given to you. Colossians chapter 1. You can flip over there if you want to or just write it down. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Again, that idea that we walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two is another one. Jot that one down. First Thessalonians chapter two. Verse nine, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The last one comes from 2 Thessalonians. Chapter one, verse three. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Again, this idea here is present that we're to, um, we're to have love for each other, we're to have an enduring love, a steadfast love, Even in the midst of persecutions that we are enduring with one another, it says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you were also suffering. So, Paul keeps coming back to this idea in other letters that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that's been given to us. He has spent a ton of time unpacking in chapter 1, 2, and 3 that calling that has been given to us. Now, he wants us to walk in a manner that reflects it. Now, back to our text in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 4, sorry. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I put in my notes, note that we do not walk in such a way to earn a calling. We walk in such a way to reflect the calling that we already possess. That's important, all right? He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling To which you have been called. Because here's where the enemy could hijack this verse. The enemy can hijack this verse and tell us that we're supposed to live in such a way to earn a calling from God, to earn our salvation, to earn his love, to earn his acceptance, to earn an adoption into his family. But what Paul is saying is that you already have that. That calling has already been given to you. When you were dead in your sins, he made you alive. When you were sinners, he died for you in your place, right? So that calling has already been given to us. Paul's saying, in light of the fact that you have this calling, you are now to live this way. And that's a a really important difference there. We don't walk in such a way to earn God's calling. We possess it already. And therefore, we are to walk in such a way because we possess it. The idea is our response to chapter one through three should be of equal value to the calling that we have just learned about. So the way that we live is really to carry the same weight as what we've just read about and learned about in chapters one, two, and three. That's what it means to say, that our walk is in a manner worthy of the calling. That Greek word for worthy there is axios, and that's where we get our English word axiom from it. And that word means to be of equal weight. Think about it from this, this mindset, from the math mindset. If you're doing an equation in math, and you've got that equal sign there, the implication there is that what's on the left side of the equation and what is on the right side of the equation is equal to each other, right? So if you have four plus one on one side, then you would have 5 on the other, and that's equal value. When you're trying to solve for x, and you—so we're getting into some math here, okay? I love some math, all right? Um, If you're solving for x, so let's say x minus 2 equals 10. x minus 2 equals 10. We're going to add 2 to each side to figure out what x is, right? So if we add 2, we move that negative 2. Now we have x equals what? 12, right? So we've done the equal thing to both sides. There's equal weight on both sides of that equation. That's what's happening here for Paul. He's saying, I've told you about a ton of things that God has given to you on this side of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now my expectation is on the other side of the equation that there is equal value. Now, is that possible? No. Is it possible for us to live up to what God has blessed us with and given us, like for there to be equality there? No, but Paul is calling us to live in such a way where we strive for that. We strive to live in such a way where our response is is equal to what God has blessed us with and what God has given to us. We're to try to live in such a way where our lives equal out the great blessings described in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, If you're like me, I read this and it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. My first question is, well, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And if you're like me, what I'd appreciate is Paul giving me a to-do list, right? Do's and don'ts. And if you would just give me that, then I can check these things off and know that I've walked in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? you may remember back in the 80s, the movie Gremlins, right? I've, I've never even seen this movie, but it's kind of one of those iconic 80s movies where you just, kind of like Star Wars, like people have never seen Star Wars for some people, but they know all about it, right? Because it's just kind of this iconic thing. Well, if you know anything about that movie, you've got these cute little animals, but there's rules for how you take care of them, right? There was three rules. You couldn't expose them to light, you couldn't feed them after midnight, and you couldn't expose them to water. And it was just, These three things, and if you follow these three things, then you can enjoy this little cute animal, right? I want the little, I want the gremlin list for how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Give me three things to do or three things to not do so that I can feel good about myself. And that's not what Paul does here, right? Paul doesn't say, go to church three out of four Sundays, read your Bible 10 minutes a day, and you've walked in a manner worthy of the Lord. He doesn't do that for us. That would be helpful from from the human standpoint. That would make it manageable maybe, from the human standpoint, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, look what he says in verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What we get instead are mindsets or character traits to adopt and reflect in our interactions with each other. And these are ongoing. These don't ever stop. We don't ever get to the point where we say we have done this to the fullest. This is an expectation that stays with us through the rest of our life. And it's not a fad that comes and goes. Paul is saying for there to be a healthy church, these elements have to be present amongst the church's members. And they have to be living and interacting in this way. Humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and an eagerness to maintain that unity. The parallel passage. We've been going to Colossians throughout our study in Ephesians to see the parallel passages that Paul talks about. He does this in verse 12 of Colossians 3. Listen closely to the similarities to what Paul says here. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, which is another word in the original language for the gentleness word, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's similarities there, right? The terminology, the words that are being used, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, um, maintaining peace and harmony, letting that rule in our one body. Paul's echoing these same things in Colossians. Now, let's think about these three key character traits that are being mentioned here, and then we're going to unpack them in an outline format. The idea of humility, gentleness, and patience. These are three key terms that Paul gives to us and says this should be exemplified in every believer. Humility, gentleness, and patience. And you can't help but see these things perfectly uh, shown to us through the life of Christ, right? Humility, obviously seen in Jesus where in Philippians chapter 2. You go to Philippians chapter 2, you read in verses 5 through 11 about the humility of Christ, how he was present in heaven. He removes himself from that position and humbles himself and becomes obedient all the way to point of death, not just any death, but death on the cross, right? He humbles himself. He takes on the form of a human for our sake, right? The humility of Christ is certainly evident to us. The gentleness of Jesus is seen in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and... And lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus shows gentleness in the ways that he interacts with his creation. He also shows patience, though. Look in First Timothy, verse one, verse 15, chapter one, verse 15. Sorry. First Timothy, chapter one, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy. This is Paul again talking. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Again, Paul highlighting his sinful past. But look what he says in verse 16. I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, God saved me so that his patience could be made evident to everybody else. Because he took somebody who was one of the worst sinners, who was killing him, killing his people, killing the church, and he radically saves Paul. And he says, this is to show Jesus' patience. Because he should have been done with me from the first time I started to to, um, persecute him. But Jesus showed patience, right? Comes after Paul and saves him. We also know that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Jesus shows patience to every single one of us in that he delays his return, right? Jesus could have come back 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 400 years ago, 800 years ago. He could have come back 10 years ago. And some of you that are sitting here weren't saved 10 years ago, right? And 2 Peter talks about the fact that Jesus delays his return, not because he's lazy, right, not because he's unintentional, he delays it to show his patience because he desires his people to come to repentance, right? And so he's a perfect display of these three character traits, humility, gentleness, and patience. And now we're called to live this way too. And so we can look to the life of Christ to see how to do this better because he's the perfect example of this, but it's certainly our responsibility through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out these character traits. So let's jump in now with our time remaining and look at these three together. Number one, we are called to walk humbly for the sake of unity. Now, I think it's important that as we're walking through this that we don't lose sight of the fact that these character traits, we are called to live this way not just so we can be better individual people. It is for a purpose. It is for the purpose of unity in the body, which means if our local church is to stay unified despite all of our differences and all of our differences in opinions and preferences and whatnot, We have to be unified, and we do so by maintaining a spirit of humility towards each other. Humility. We walk humbly for the sake of unity. One commentator said Humility is the restraining of our sense of entitlement to be the focus of other people's care and attention by submitting ourselves to others with respect in order to promote their best interests. It's restraining our sense of entitlement. To be the focus of other people's care and attention, right? So we take the focus off of ourselves and how we should be treated and how we should be handled and how we should be served. Humility is instead diverting that attention to others, right? Submitting ourselves to others with respect in order to promote their best interest. Two things that I want you to see about humility number one, it's about us thinking rightly about ourselves. We are to think rightly about ourselves. Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about this in verse 3. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He goes on to talk about how each member of the body is important, right? And each member of the body makes up the body of Christ, right? So, He starts by saying, hey, no single person in the church should ever think more highly of himself than he ought to think because every single person in the church body is extremely important. We're to think rightly about ourselves. Pride is being filled with self. Humility is being filled with God, and we're certainly told to be filled with God, right? In Ephesians 3.19, where we just were a couple of weeks ago, we we are told to be full or with the fullness of God. And our salvation story reminds us that we don't have any room for boasting, right? We go back to Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses eight and nine, right? That our salvation is not by our good works. Why? So that no one may boast. Nobody's more important than one another here, right? Leaders aren't more important than members here, right? We all have important uh, value as the body of Christ. Nobody should think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. See yourself as God sees you with infinite inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. And so walking humbly for the sake of humility means that we see ourselves rightly. We certainly have value. We've just seen all this identity value that God gives to us in chapters one, two, and three. But we have to remind ourselves that that's true about everybody in this room, not just you, right? Every single believer has this value. So we think rightly about ourselves. And then number two, we're to think highly, about others. We're to think highly about others. And this is like the reverse of what we typically do, right? So what we're trying to do is get to the point where we see us on like the same level playing field. But what we typically do is we think too highly of ourselves and we think too lowly of others. And so we're having to reverse that. Scripture's saying, hey, bring yourself down a notch and bring everybody else up to where they should be. Because right now you flipped it you think way too highly of yourself and you think way too lowly of others, we're called to do the reverse. And we see this in Philippians chapter two. This is a really familiar passage to us, but I want to read it again because it carries such weight if we're really to live out in humility our interaction with others. It says in Philippians two, three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't create rivalries with each other in the body of Christ. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Don't just look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. For unity to exist, humble, selfless people must be living for the good of others. We refuse to insist on our own rights, and we put our neighbor's interests before our own. This is hard. This is so hard to do because our pride pushes against this, and our pride gets hurt often when we're not treated the ways that we want to be treated, right? And it starts to shape the ways that we then respond towards others, and we talked so heavily about the golden rule, right? It's that we treat other people the ways that we want to be treated, even if we're never treated that way, humility keeps treating people the way that you want to be treated because you're putting their interest above your own needs. That's what we're called to do, to walk humbly. Now, again, the expectation is that we would all be doing this, and if we're all doing this, then everybody's needs get cared for, right? If I'm putting your needs above my own needs and you're putting my needs above your own needs, then both of our needs get met. But we don't do this as long as somebody else is doing it. We do this faithfully because we're called to do this. We walk humbly for the sake of unity. Number two, we speak gently for the sake of unity, right? So again, this all comes back to how do we coexist as a church family? How do we coexist doing life together, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week as we gather in our own intimate settings, as we gather in homes, as we gather for small groups, as we gather for discipleship groups, as we gather for fellowship? How do we maintain unity, (laughs) Right? We maintain unity by being humble with each other, putting each other's needs above our own needs, and then speaking gently with each other for the sake of unity. One commentator said, Gentleness is dealing with others in a kind rather than rough way, with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force, soft encouragement over hard bullying. We're to speak gently with each other. Number one, we're to be intentionally under control in our interactions. And this is really what this word gentleness means. Some translations um, even translate it with the word meekness, which I think is really unfortunate that in our language meekness and weakness rhyme because it's hard not to hear the word meekness and think weakness, right? Um, but man, what, what this word means, this idea of gentleness, is that you you have your power under control, and you are funneling it and using it appropriately. I see this so often as a dad. There are times when I'm conscious enough to make the decision of whether I'm going to be gentle or rough. There's plenty of other times where I just am rough without even thinking about being gentle. But there are times where I choose to be gentle with my children, knowing that I could have been rough. And by gentle, I don't mean I go soft or I go easy on them. What I mean by gentle is that I take the time to address them in such a way where it's a teaching opportunity versus me just reacting uh, emotionally out of frustration towards them and allowing my words to just spew in such a way where the situation is addressed, the behavior is altered, but it's done in such a way where it's not always helpful. And I see the difference when I choose to be gentle and I choose to choose my tone. I choose to choose the words that I'm going to use. I choose to take additional time to address that situation in gentleness, with firmness, with truth, with correction. But I do so in a constructive way where I'm not being led by my emotions, right? I'm being led by the truth of the situation. And and I've seen it in enough situations where there's times where I make, and there's times where I'm making a conscious decision to be rough because sometimes it feels good to do that, right? Sometimes it feels good to express that emotion because you are frustrated and to restrain it and to control it isn't as satisfying on the front end. It certainly is on the back end when I can look and realize that I've, I've shepherded my child well here right? It's not as fulfilling on the front end because I want to just express that frustration. I want to release that frustration. The Bible's telling us here to be gentle, not just as mom and dads, but as believers with each other. We're to be intentionally under control in our interactions with each other. Look what Second Timothy chapter 2 says. Second Timothy chapter 2 says this, verse 23. What's he saying there? He's saying that the ways that we address others oftentimes may lead to their repentance. So not only is the situation addressed, but genuine, true repentance flows from that interaction because of the gentleness they see from you. Gentleness that you're called to uh, bear as an image bearer of God, right? That we're we're to convey the same type of gentleness that God gives to us. Titus chapter three, verse one. remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So you can see kind of the opposite of gentleness is this rough, quarreling, uh, arguing type perspective. To be gentle, to be intentional in our interactions with each other. Think about Jesus here. Jesus did not retaliate against others. He was always ready to forgive, but he was certainly not a weak individual, right? He was a fierce defender of others and certainly a defender of the truth, but he did it in gentle ways. He did it under control, right? And we as believers are called to interact with each other that way too. We're called to be under control with our power, to be under control with our authority, to be under control with our words and our attitudes and our actions. Number two, we're also to be intentionally under control in our care. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now again, this is all in the context of unity. So, we're having to confront somebody in our church because they're going wayward, they're into sin, or maybe they've done something to hurt us and we have to bring that up, we have to address that. The Bible tells us to do that with gentleness, to do that under control, to not do that out of an emotional response, to instead do that with an attitude of gentleness towards each other. We walk humbly with each other. We put the needs of others above our own needs. We then speak to each other with gentleness as the goal, with gentleness as the the fuel for how we're talking and interacting. And then number three, we love patiently for the sake of unity. We love patiently for the sake of unity. That same commentator said, long-suffering, patience is long-suffering or long-temperedness with the faults of others by being slow in rebuking them and giving time for spiritual growth. We talk about short-temperedness a lot, right? That's where we just hit a fuse real quick, and we react suddenly. This idea of patience is being long-tempered with our responses, that we're uh, long-suffering with the faults of others. We're slow in bringing it up. We're slow in rebuking somebody for annoyances and preference-type things. We give time for spiritual growth. We understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in their life. We're to bear with each other is what's talked about here. So going back to our text in Ephesians, Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Number one, we're to bear with one another by correcting one another with gentleness. We bear with one another by correcting one another with gentleness. First Thessalonians verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak be patient with them all right he's talking about as a body of believers there are people who at times are going to get lazy and they need to be admonished to get to work they're going to be faint-hearted and weary and you're going to encourage them and maybe you have to come back and keep encouraging them because they don't get the encouragement you have to help the weak but overall that overarching idea is that we're to be patient with them all 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This even falls on the leadership within the church who is teaching the body to be patient for the teaching to take root in somebody's heart. Right to be patient in how we love each other. We don't grow frustrated with each other so easily. Instead, we give patience in the growth that's to take place. We're to bear with one another by correcting one another with gentleness. Number two, we're to bear with one another by forgiving one another. We bear with one another by being ready to forgive one another. But in that parallel passage, we already read this, but going back to Colossians 3, 13, it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other. What's the implication there? If I have a complaint, I seek that individual out. We sit down, we talk about it, we talk through it with humility and gentleness, with the end goal of me being able to forgive that individual. Why? For the sake of unity, to maintain the spirit of unity with the bond of peace. First Peter four eight. First Peter chapter four, verse eight says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What this means, this idea of patience, is that we don't stop loving others in this church because of those faults in them which perhaps offend us or displease us. We keep loving them. We keep pursuing those individuals. Number three, at times we're to bear with one another by removing one another too. This is where that idea of gentleness is weighted with truth. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Again, in the context of unity, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Here, Paul's telling us, "Hey, you don't keep enduring with somebody who is working against the unity. You've warned them once. You've warned them twice. Have nothing to do with them because they are causing such damage. You've got to remove them from the body." This happens even uh, in Revelation chapter two. Now, the unique the unique aspect of this verse that I'm taking you to is that this letter is written to the same church that we're reading about in Ephesians. This is written to the church at Ephesus, right? It says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Man, praise be to God. This church at Ephesus is a church known for their patient endurance with each other. But they're also known for how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Man, they they were bearing with each other, loving each other, tolerating each other. But when the individuals in those church were teaching false things or causing divisions, they weren't going to bear with those people any longer. They were going to warn them once, warn them twice, and then have nothing to do with them. So at times, bearing with one another means removing one another too. We walk humbly. We speak gently. We love patiently. Why? The implication here is that we seek to live with these mindsets for the sake of unity at all times. We can't discount the fact that what Paul has been teaching us is not this individual gospel, that this is how you get saved and this is how you escape hell. It's that, yes, those things are true with the purpose of us coming together as individuals who have been saved to form one body, a unified body that is put on display for all of creation, particularly the heavenly beings who look in amazement and wonder at the goodness of God. Bearing with one another in love, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We seek to live with these mindsets, humility, gentleness, patience, for the sake of unity. Unity is preserved as believers make peace with one another, their their major priority. Let me say this again. Unity is preserved within the church as believers make peace with one another, their major priority instead of acting selfishly for personal gain and honor. We are called to do everything we possibly can in whatever roles we have to pursue and maintain the unity of the church. We've been talking about this for several weeks now, that if there's ever a point where you are disunified with somebody, it is of the utmost importance that you fix it. It's of the utmost importance that you are eager to maintain unity by pursuing it with each other. I'll read these final verses to close this out. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means if there's a situation where you and another believer are not at peace, that your eagerness to maintain the peace has led you to do everything that is possible on your end, to live peaceably with that person. You do everything that you can on your end to do so. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. I wrote down the wrong verse on that one. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 17. This is the last one we'll read together. Right? That's the idea of humility there, right? Where selfish ambition exists, there is disorder. There's not unity, there's not peace. There's disorder in every vile practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is what we're called to do. We're called to pursue unity with each other. We do it with an attitude of humility, with an attitude of gentleness, and with an attitude of patience. The identity truth for us to remember this week is that every Christian has a calling upon their life. And is called to live out that calling. We're to live in a manner worthy of that calling. And it starts with our humility, our gentleness, and our patience. Now, let's just pause right here before I throw up our application and we sing a song and we go home. Now think about those three key words for a second. Humility, gentleness, patience. Think about whether any of those three words would be used to describe you. And just be honest with yourself for a second. If somebody were to start writing down words that describe you, would they describe you as humble? As gentle? As patient? Would your kids describe you this way? Would your spouse describe you this way? humble, gentle, patient? these aren't always values that we think about. these aren't always values that are even valued in our society right in, in uh, I don't even fully understand this, but in college football just this week, like a new law went into place where you can like basically sell yourself as an athlete and like market yourself and make a lot of money off your name and it's been really weird because you weren't allowed to do that and now like every like all these athletes are coming out with logos for their name and like they're just trying to like make money off of themselves right and so like this whole last end of the week has been about promoting yourself and making yourself awesome so that people will give you money for it right like in our society selfish ambition is usually valued right And yet here, what we're being told is that as a believer, in a body of believers, to maintain purity, to maintain unity, we have to live humbly towards each other, gently towards each other, patiently towards each other. So I want you to kind of think about that for just a minute. Do any of those three words describe you? And here's the thing to remember is that if they don't, we can pray for the supernatural power for that to start being descriptive of us. It's not okay to say, no, I'm just, I, just have a, I just have a quick temper. Like, I'm just a hothead. Like, this is just who I am. It's not who you are, right? It's who you used to be. It's who you're not supposed to be anymore, right? That's, that's your old self. That's your sinful self. That's your fleshly self. And you've been redeemed, and you've been given the power to change. You don't have to settle for being a prideful individual, right? You don't have to settle for being a rough individual who just speaks their mind. You don't have to settle for being a impatient individual. You don't have to settle for that. We can pray and we can expect God to give us far more than we ask or think in these areas, right? It's not about getting bigger cars and bigger houses. It's about getting humility and gentleness and patience in ways that we never expected before, right? Some of us have been content to live pridefully and, and roughly and impatiently. And Paul says, hey, live in a way that is worthy of the calling. Live in a way that is worthy of what's been given to you. Not just so you can be a better individual. Why? So that you can maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So that we as a local church can be unified. We're a unified best when we are living humbly with each other, gently with each other, and patiently with each other i give you three points of application today. Number one, identify the area that you feel like you are least known for and begin praying this week for God to change you. Notice we're not start, starting with identify the area that you feel like you were least known for and start being that type of person this week. It's just not that easy. You don't just say, you know what, I'm pretty prideful. I'm going to be pretty humble this week. All right. I mean, if it was that easy, right, it's not as easy as saying don't put him in around light, don't feed him after midnight and and don't put them around water, right? Like it's not, it's not the gremlin list of how to be a good Christian this week. No, it starts with us praying and saying, God, I am prideful. And I'm not gentle in my words a lot of times. And I'm not patient with other people. I have too far at high expectations and I expect people to be a certain way when they're not. And that frustrates me and it causes me to be rough towards other people, talk badly about other people, to quarrel about other people. And God, change my heart and make me a humble person. Make me a gentle person. Make me a patient person. We can't generate this on our own. It takes supernatural power, and we can pray for this to happen supernaturally within us. Number two, if there is a specific way you need to reestablish unity with another believer, be eager about doing so this week. We'll keep coming back to this as long as Paul's teaching us about it. Like, I don't have some agenda that I'm trying to grind here. There's not some situation that I'm like, goodness, when is that gonna get worked out? It's just as it continues to come up in the text, we're gonna keep pushing for it. If there's a way that you need to pursue unity with somebody, be eager about doing it this week. And then real practically for us, number three, is we're gonna do our C group sign up today. So at two o'clock, that's gonna be an active document for you to be able to log in and sign up for our C groups for this fall. This is so important because this is how we will really start to live out these things that we're talking about this fall as we redo our C-groups. This is the smaller group of people in our church that we're asking you to very tangibly love and serve. Not that you don't do that to people outside of your C-group, but this is kind of the, the narrowed way for you to be intentional about being humble and being gentle and being patient with people within our church. And so we're going to ask you to sign up for C-groups this week uh, with an attitude of humility and unity. And I, and I put that there because it's not just about which group you want to be in, All right? To be humble and say, you know what? I'm gonna put the needs of others above my own needs. You log on there because you have a long lunch and it's five o'clock and the group you were gonna sign up in is just slam full of people. You say, you know what? I'm gonna put people's needs above my own needs. I'm gonna sign up for the one that I wasn't expecting to sign up for, All right? Why? For the sake of unity, for the sake of unity, All right? And so let me encourage you to do that, to be thinking about humility, gentleness, and patience even as we seek to live out this this week, as we start to formulate our plan for the fall for our C-group gatherings and studies together. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you that we can come to it and learn more about you and learn more about what you desire for us. God, we thank you again for everything that we've learned about in chapters one, two, and three, the great calling that you have given to us. You've adopted us into your family. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've given us this great inheritance. But God, you've also reminded us that it's not about us and our individual salvations. You have saved us as individuals so that we can be united together as a group. And you want us to be so different in the types of people that we are so that you get the greatest amount of glory when you unify us in spite of those differences. But God, help us to realize that we can't be unified with all these differences, unless we approach each other with humility and gentleness and patience. God, help us to be honest with ourselves and to evaluate whether any of those three words even remotely describes us right now. And if we're not known as humble people, gentle people, patient people, God, we come to you crying out and asking for you to do that work in our hearts and minds and to change us. We know we can't generate that on our own. So God, we're coming to you and praying that our hearts would be enlightened and that you would come and dwell fully in our hearts. God, help us to make strides this week that as we interact with each other, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us to exhibit humility and gentleness and patience and convict us where we're not. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.